Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. Welcome to another edition of Observations. Wow, all of the pop culture, all of the comic books smashed together, bringing us entertainment 24-7 nowadays on all platforms. And, and I'm here to cover my own journey with comic books that has lasted from when I was five years old. Yes, five years old, pulling those, those early comics um, from my barber and then later the spinner rack. And it's all been just the most magical journey I could ever possibly imagine having. It has been a busy weekend in between podcasts. Holy moly. Like the, the, the world of comics never sleeps, never slows down. And uh, in this case, uh, I am, I am uh, my, my, my weekend was full of comic book related, even related to this podcast, which, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk you through quickly. But uh, so, so, so there was a giant uh, acquisition. Uh, AT&T, which of course set out to purchase Warner Brothers, which includes DC Comics, which includes the DC Universe of Films, Warner Brothers' entire film slate, HBO Max. Well, HBO Max actually came of this, but it was HBO prior to that. The uh, AT&T went through years of federal regula- regulations. You know, uh, uh, in in the last during the last presidential term, uh, because that president was um, making it more difficult for uh, the, the, the acquisition to go through, because you always have to do this in acquisitions and mergers, especially of the, of, of, of the size with billions. And, and, and is, is it, is it a, is it a monopoly? You know, uh, you know, that th- this has happened in the past. You, some companies are forced to shed certain assets in order to shrink down, uh, and, and meet the criteria that they are not indeed a monopoly, but they went through all these years of getting these clearances. AT and T, I did with Warner Brothers, I believe, spending about 150 billion dollars in debt, uh, taking on Warner Brothers, and then creating this HBO Max um, platform to compete with Netflix and Disney Plus. Which again, Disney Plus surged. People really believed that it was going to take much longer for them to reach their you know, amount of, of, uh, of, of subscribers and, and Disney, Disney plus is, 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 I mean, 60% of where Netflix is right now within two years and they are gaining because they have only just begun starting to put all of their content online. And these services, as you know, are driven by content. Netflix was so ahead of the game. Um, that this, this, uh, last, Weekend, my wife and I were, were were sitting down over burgers at our favorite burger joint, and I'm just I, I was, you know, just discussing as as a content holder. Now, my content is my library of titles: Bloodstrike, Prophet, Glory, Judgment Day, War Child, uh, The Berserkers. Uh, did I say Brigade? Uh, Cybrid, Evangeline. I mean, these are just off the top of my head. Uh, some of the titles in my library of my shared universe. And of course, uh, I, I have uh, p- parties that have approached me that that want to do my different titles and, and uh, because comic books have never been more uh, sought after, sought after. And, and the older titles that have, have more uh, consistent fan bases are as interesting to these new investors as more interesting than maybe some of these new pitches that are being that that are being put together in order to attract investors. And investors are smart. They see that component A and component B got together to make something that would find their favor so that they would write a big check for it. Uh, in the meantime, a library like mine, which is 30 years old and has sold millions and millions and millions and millions of copies over time, um, is is something that is seen as as more it has a it has a different value than something that was launched last month and that's that's not that that's not a you know me playing favorites that's just how it is with any catalog um the older and more vast and more published and better statistics it has the better it's going to to do with a interested party these different parties are being driven by the streaming platforms that's why i brought up my catalog and the different platforms nowadays have more money than any studios ever did. Netflix, so my, while, while my wife and I are talking about this, she, she is unaware and, and, and wants to put me to the test and Googles, in fact, to find out that Netflix does have over 200 million subscribers. You probably knew this already, but 
Netflix has 206 subscribers as of their April financial investor call. 206 paid subscriptions. How that rolls around if somebody cancels in November and re-ups in January or cancels in February and re-ups in, 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 in June, that, that's, that's hidden. That data is not available, but they just have a, a, a number that they are comfortable saying they have 206 million subscribers. It, they are making almost a billion a month in, in, in monthly yield. Uh, it's like 900 some million per month, uh, you know, after costs and, and, and analysis and all, all this is public knowledge. You, if you Google Netflix value, worth earnings, all this is going to come up, but Netflix is making billions in profit billions. And that is because we sign on to watch their platform above everyone else's platform. Disney got into it to compete with Netflix, knowing that this is the future. The streaming, so remember Netflix used to send you a movie. You used to subscribe to Netflix and, and, and pick different discs, uh, different DVDs, and they'd mail them to you, to you, and then you'd have your little folder, your pouch, that you would mail it back when you were done. They turned that into a streaming uh, giant. Remember, House of Cards, to my memory, is their very first uh, their very first original content, the Kevin Spacey um, uh, 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 political show, and it caught everybody's attention. And then, you know, by the summer of 2016, they blow up with Stranger Things, and 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 along the way, we get we get Ozark and 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 all this other tremendous content. Amazon, Hulu, they were already there. They were they were right alongside them. They've given us great content as well. Handmaid's Tale, you got. You got Jack Ryan. You soon. You got Jack Reacher. You got Invincible on Amazon. I mean, these streaming platforms—they have their libraries, of course, as you know this, but also this new content. And the new content is being funded at an at, at just at a ridiculously expensive rate with the money that Netflix is generating from this subscriber base. I mean, you guys, when you have nine hundred million dollars changing hands, rolling through every month, and that is that is going to go up. They be, Netflix is going to add over time another hundred million subscribers. That's in the business plan, maybe more. Um, so, so, so these these streaming platforms are now paying for everything. They are the th- when a when a studio is uncertain, like it is about a movie like Chris Pratt's Tomorrow War, which is a big budget science fiction film. They believe let's 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 sell this to a streamer who wants this for content, who wants this for our eyeballs. For, for for the eyeballs that that subscribe they, they need for their subscribers and they do a deal that guarantees a profit so that Paramount doesn't have to release this movie into theaters and wait and see post pandemic if people will show up and if there'll be enough tickets worldwide globally after marketing and costs and and all of the uh, different splits they will then say we have sold the Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt the streaming company gets primo A list content and. Paramount has covered their cost and made a small and made a a a set profit. A set profit. The movie business is great. You never know when that movie is going to make a billion dollars, take off, never look back. Like Avatar, like te- like Titanic. Um, uh, you, you know, look, Deadpool was made for fifty million dollars. It made eight hundred million dollars. That was a, a ridiculous return on an investment. But that's the risk you take. It could have just as soon, you know, bottomed out, tanked as 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 several of these big gambles do. So. By selling Chris Pratt's The Tomorrow War to a streaming giant, the streaming giant gets their content. They've paid. They've 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 made certain that Paramount got their money back, made a profit, and it's on to the next. The streaming giants are pushing. They are the ones driving all of the buses now. the The money that they generate from the subscriber base is giving them uh, untold amounts of cash that they are spending to create content. So AT and T with HBO Max rolls this out. They're they're trying to compete. I believe HBO Max is one of the best, finest, top-of-the-line subscription services. Their film catalog alone, from the TMC Classics all the way through. I mean, Warner Brothers is a storied studio with amazing titles. Crime dramas, dramas, sci-fi, fantasy, um, comedy. It's just, it's it's amazing. But it's been sold. AT&T decided uh, obviously not not last night. Last night they dropped it, but they dropped the fact that they have uh, now for a forty three billion dollars. Last night it was fifty million. Today it's forty three uh, billion dollars. They have uh, given it to Discovery to run. They've called it a merger because they've got stock, but they took money in exchange. They they, they in, in fact sold it to the Discovery Channel, which has its own 
uh, executive, uh, uh, you know, branch, the, 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 their own presidents and 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 the executives who are going to make determine who are going to make determinations now moving forward. So so your you, Warner Brothers has new bosses as of this morning, as of this podcast. AT&T decided to get out of the media business, get out of the content creation business. You know, earlier in the year, they 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 decided they were going to do everything direct to their HBO Max streaming platform and everyone from Chris Nolan to uh to the director of Dune, I don't want to butcher his name right now and I didn't rehearse it before coming on. So, the director of Sicario, the director of Dune with Dune, he he doesn't like that. He wants his he they made these films to be seen on the big screen. That's where they want you to experience them. They don't matter they don't as artists uh uh they don't uh care how long it takes. It's it's not malicious. It's they they would rather wait out um for the right time than 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 in their minds have their vision compromised. So, you know, they spoke out, they put the guy who is running HBO Max on the hot seat, and then they had to do the dance and the agencies are yelling, and what about our back-end deals? Because streaming obviously doesn't account for a dollar ticket factor, which would then be something that would pay a back-end. The, um, you know, uh, you read last week about uh, uh, some talent who, who again, concerned with their movie going to streaming rather than theaters. How is that going to work? Because they had a back-end deal. Back-end deal in, in the history of um, of Hollywood. And if you're new and if you're young and if you're a teenager, look, when I was a teenager 30 years ago, there was a magazine called Premier Magazine. It was a huge magazine, Entertainment Weekly. They were the top two magazines, two platforms, published platforms that covered the movie business and they would tell you who was making what who was what dollars were going where it really gave this generation of of all these guys who are now your film journalists grew up reading premier magazine following entertainment weeklies uh reporting on where the money went how much budgets were were you know what were the budgets of the films the back-end deals the costs what was tom cruise getting what was nicholas cage what was bruce willis who was taking a pay cut you know the big first uh, uh, Twenty million dollar uh, movie was. This is an answer to a trivia question. Jim Carrey was the first actor paid twenty million dollars, and he was paid that to star in the Cable Guy, um, which was a comedy that Ben Stiller directed, and 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 so then that opened up the gates because then everybody else's talent wanted twenty million too. Well, well, if he's worth twenty, Tom Cruise is worth twenty, and Nicolas Cage. This is in the '90s when these guys were giant movie stars. Will Smith, all these guys, you know. So this is how the business works. Always follow the money, and in this case, with. AT&T, they decided they did not want to be in the content creation entertainment business anymore where all sorts of talent has voices. They can get in the press. They can um, disrupt the flow of your business. When at the end of the day, what AT&T, what, what they made, they're a communications company. They made their fortune as a company and, and, and for their stockholders. And, and, and they were the darlings of Wall Street because they were a tech company that, that that maximized delivering communications to you. Your telephones, your cable lines, your, your satellite, okay? That is all what these tech companies do and that is where they make their huge money. They, they buy into these entertainment corporations, these kind of... Uh, they're they're sexy. They're fun, man. You mean I'll I'll buy a corporation that will put me now in direct business with you know Angelina Jolie, with Charlize Theron, with uh you know with with, with Brad Pitt, with Leonardo DiCaprio, with 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 uh, with Ryan Reynolds, with The Rock. Okay, but then you get into the the nitty gritty of it all, and it's complicated. The movie business is complicated, and uh, in my own dealings with my own representation, they have learned the tech companies don't view things the way the entertainment companies view things. And they, they see maybe some of the ways that the business of entertainment runs, which benefits the agents and their clients, of which I have an agent, I am a client, that they, they are looking to, in the most creative way possible, maximize what their talent makes and as a result, what they make given their cut. But tech companies are much more nuts and bolts, like this widget fits here and and and, and takes this information here and that's what I'm paying for. Why does... The, 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 who? Why does who plugs the cable in matter? Is is kind of what what they're thinking. But what here, here here's the long and the short of it. By going to Discovery, so Discovery has purchased, given money, and stock to AT and T to take Warner Brothers off their hands. They will now be calling the shots in the next year. It'll take a year for this to come together. Does that include DC Comics? It does. Does that mean DC Comics talent has to now not DC Comics talent? DC Comics executives have to justify their business in a world 
where publishing is growing more and more um, suspect to big corporations because paper products is not something that they are um, knowledgeable of and it is not something that they that, that necessarily excites them because what they live in is the world of I want to download this from the app store now pay this set amount the money is instantaneous um you know the, the comic books superman batman spider-man those are those are individual titles that you subscribe to nobody maybe maybe you know somebody who buys every single marvel and dc comics i don't i never have met anyone who fits that criteria i know people who buy all the x-men books and people who buy all the batman books and different families but i do not and have not encountered someone who buys all of those so so a marvel subscription and a dc full subscription is not likely but maybe you subscribe to superman maybe that's on your pull box maybe every batman books is on batman comic is on your pull box but we just lost the tech guy as i was saying this and trying to explain it to me his eyes rolled into the back of his head and he's like i what i want to know that they will pay me x amount for this subscription x you know before i went to bed last night i subscribed to the paramount uh, uh streaming service it used to be um cbs all access they changed it to paramount uh, they, 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 they do the Star Trek shows, they do the stand, they've got all the CBS content. If I want to watch old episodes of 60 Minutes, CBS This Morning, great news content in there, um, great old shows. Uh, it told me that I was charged my six bucks before I went to bed, that my, that it came up on a display to me and said, your you know payment has been received, okay? Because it's automatic, they took it out, they, they, they let me know. That's what they want. They want to know that their six, seven bucks a month has been paid, you know, boom, 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 boom. They, they When you get into publishing, you go, but we're selling these periodicals. And well, what do the periodicals make? So here's what I have gleaned over this last six months. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's along the lines of that, uh, that, that DC Comics needed to show a profit a year, a publishing company, of about $25 million, uh, okay? Which is... You know, that, that's a good yield. At the end of the year, you look at the end of the ledger and you go, for all the money we spent, we are plus 25 million. Plus 25 million, okay? Um, you're, you're, you're paying printing costs, distribution costs. Your, uh, you know, you are uh, talent costs. And, and, and at the end of the day, after you spend, what did you bring in? And, um, you know, comic books are a different price point. They've, you know, people debate, are they too expensive? Are they not expensive enough? Should they be more to justify kind of um, their existence? Because the, the, the comic books were always, especially when I was growing up, a cheap kind of form of entertainment. That was the best part you bought. When I was a kid, you got five comics for a dollar, 20 cents a pop. Then they went up to a quarter. And so now I only got four comics for, for a dollar. But that's fine. I, I, I worked away. I, I worked my way around that. I, I mowed more lawns. I, you know, I did more chores. Nowadays it is. It's a big bite. Five, six dollars a comic. This is the, the world we live in. So so the, the options are limited, but the collectible market on the flip side at the same time simultaneously is booming. And it doesn't seem like to be that there is no there is no limit to what people will buy for value collectibles that they value. And that is hard to justify to a uh, to, to to a tech company president. Now Discovery makes documentaries, they don't do a lot of scripted content. So, you know, maybe we will see some sort of merger and some great stuff come out of this. We don't know. Anybody who tells you they know, they're, they're, they're not telling you the truth. But as far as DC Comics is concerned, that rumor of several months ago that there was a consortium of people looking to pony up some money to buy or to make an offer to buy uh, the characters for just publishing. It was only publishing. The rights would never go beyond publishing. There, there is no, um, there, there, I mean, when, when Fox, for its content, which included all those Marvel titles, sold for $70 billion, and Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion 11 years ago, and Marvel for $4 billion 11, 12 years ago. Okay, um, $4 billion and $4 billion. $4 billion for Marvel, $4 billion for Star Wars. And, uh, and $70 billion then for Fox, almost a decade later. Uh, the media rights, the, the worldwide global media rights to Batman are, 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 there's no, I mean, there's no ceiling on that. Um, there's no hard ceiling. It, 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 it sky's the limit. But the publishing rights, maybe you can convince somebody if you're going to guarantee them $20 million at the year. So so, so it's just a nice little, uh, at the end of the year, you're going to license it and guarantee a $20, $25 million payout. Okay? That, that's, that, that may be something that someone would consider. Um, publishing as, as, uh, as, as profitable as it is, again, 
in these big tech investors' eyes. And that's what we're talking about, guys. Not your eyes. And certainly not my eyes. Their eyes. They want these big, giant financial yields. So the future of DC and Warner Brothers is up in the air. Anybody who tells you different is lying to you. They're, they're being delusional. It is now up in the air and it only reinforces, and this is kind of what gets, gets back to last week when I was mentioning the two different handbooks, the Marvel Universe handbook and the DC Who's Who handbook. DC always seems to have to work harder to keep up with Marvel. Marvel just got that back gust, that, that back, you know, um, that slingshot draft back in the 70s and just leapt ahead and they have been the market leader ever since. DC has its formidable uh, franchise in Batman, which is why you get and will continue now to get. Because if you're going to try and justify your existence and say, well, you should keep publishing going for this reason, and you go, Life, why wouldn't they keep it going? So here's the deal. When two uh, giant media entities, Legendary Films, which has given you all of your Godzilla MonsterVerse, before that it was the producer and financier of all the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman films, the very first Man of Steel. They had a huge comedy breakout with The Hangover. Legendary is a very well-financed, they are partially owned by Chinese um, uh, uh, financiers. They, they are well-financed. They are very successful. They have a giant film library of their own. They bought the rights to Buck Rogers. They are now fighting with another giant legendary film label named Skydance. Skydance puts all of your Mission Impossible films in your eyeballs, okay? that That's their biggest franchise. They do a ton of Tom Cruise content. Skydance, I believe, is in, did the Tom, the, the uh, Chris Pratt Tomorrow War movie that was sold to a streaming platform. Okay, the, the Skydance is, is, is on par like a legendary film. They are two big, giant production entities that have studio distribution deals. They are fighting over the rights to Buck Rogers. There has, tell me the last time you bought a Buck Rogers comic. Tell me the recent run of Buck Rogers. There isn't. Buck Rogers and the, the entire concept of Buck Rogers is self-contained in the past. In a TV show that ran a few seasons, in a number of novels, some comic books, some newspaper strips. That's what I started off talking about when we launched today's podcast is that something like the Extreme Catalog, which has 30 years of publishing, millions of sales, millions of comics, characters in the library... Even though it doesn't publish a lot of new comics, some, Buck Rogers is the same. It's condensed. It It is self-contained. It, its content happened in the past, but two giant media uh, production entities with, with who are very well financed. I mean, he used to, co Legendary had a co-financing agreement with Warner Brothers for almost a decade, which is how you got three hangovers, three giant, very expensive Christopher Nolan Batman films, the Godzilla Monsterverse, uh, the Man of Steel. The, 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 I, they did the 300 movies. They did Frank's 300 movies. I mean, Legendary was really on this incredible roll. And now they are back at it with Kong, Godzilla, and all these exciting new projects they're doing. But at the end of the day, Skydance, with their you know huge output of all the Mission Impossible films, which are ridiculously... They're getting actually more popular as Tom gets older and the franchise um, ripens. They're fighting over Buck Rogers, who's content is in the past. They want this IP, intellectual property, this character, this world, because they both want to maximize it and bring it to you in a new format. So that in and of itself is the argument, or better yet, Invincible. You know how many people are going into comic stores asking for the newest issue of Invincible only to be informed that Invincible has not been published for four years. The Invincible is now collected in hardcovers, slipcase editions, phone books, um, you can get the back issues, but there is no new Invincible, and yet there is a ton of Invincible product. It's at your retailer. Image Comics has got has gone back to press on every single Invincible uh, collection so that it can be available to you. But you are now enjoying, as my sons are, both of my kids have turned on to Invincible. My nephew, um, everyone is digging Invincible because it is brand new to them because they did not read it when it was coming out, uh, uh, you know, from the the, the previous decade of Invincible comic books, that those of us who love the comic books, we know we, we knew about them, we love them, we consume them, but that run is over. That story was told. The saga is finished. and But now Invincible, as Invincible, will no doubt become video games, possibly a, a, a live-action movie, definitely more seasons of the cartoon, more toys, more, more collectibles. The story has been told. They are mining that story. Somebody at some point is going to say, we don't need to ever publish another DC comic book. We have 
100 years of Superman stories. I, I'm, I'm rounding up. 80 years of Superman stories. 80 years of Batman stories. Umpteen thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages and panels of stories and conflict. And, and all we may basically ever get is Batman fighting Joker, Riddler, Catwoman, Penguin. I mean, that is uh, on, a, on a loop. Or Bane, okay? Bane's been up to bat twice now. So, so there is an argument to be made. Marvel Comics has the synergy because they are the market leader, the worldwide leader. Theaters are are depending on those Marvel movies to come back and do huge. And 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 that is uh you know mainly why they made that giant Marvel trailer which was welcome back and reminded you of all the big moments you've experienced in theaters. Marvel is taking care of their theatrical partners by reminding them that we're going to be back and we're going to bring the fans back because we have the product they want the most. And they're not lying. They have they have the data, they have the box office to bo- to, to to back that up. They also work hand in hand with the publishing arm to constantly feed you new, relevant material that you can count on will be adapted somewhere down the line. And we're seeing that in 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 you know Falcon and Bucky, in WandaVision, in 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 the Loki show, um, in in the films. I mean again, if you if if I don't create all of the new X-Force characters, there is no Deadpool 2. It's completely reliant on Cable and Domino and Deadpool and Vanessa, and Shatterstar, and X-Force, and the gag doesn't work unless there's an X-Force, and there's not an X-Force unless there's a creator giving you X-Force. Marvel has uh, Miles Morales, you know, Into the Spider-Verse. They are the most synergistic entity, and I know Marvel's only a producer on Into the Spider-Verse, but you get the point. They were immediate in maximizing Miles Morales and flipping the switch in the comic book world, knowing that it was coming out. When, uh, when the Snyderverse hit, there was only a few variants in regards to support for it. They didn't go whole hog into making sure your eyeballs were watching HBO Max. DC has been a company in slight disarray. Expect that to continue as they try and justify their existence. I'm not saying they should justify their existence. That is not what Rob Liefeld is saying. Don't, don't mince or, 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 or parse my words separately than what I am saying. Somewhere, and maybe they already have, has tried to... Um, put their feet to the fire and ask them, why do you exist? Why do we need to publish one more page of Batman when Buck Rogers and Invincible are burning up the charts, hot properties that we're fighting over? Um, Invincible is the hot property. Buck Rogers is the perceived hot property of the past that they all want to reignite, that they're fighting over to grab the rights. And as I understand it, the weird thing is Buck Rogers is in the public domain. So uh, I have yet to have understand the the, the complete... Uh, you know, the complexity behind trying to get something and the rights to what's in the public domain, but I guess outside of the original concept, all of the stuff that existed, like the 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 Gil Gerard, the the um <laughs> the 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 live action Buck Rogers show on um on on NBC when I was a kid, I think you know that it, it's 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 getting that built into the burrito that that they're fighting over, but the actual Buck Rogers is is public domain from what I understand. But again, it's all the representations of him since in media that they are fighting to contain and control as they seek to give you a new Buck Rogers, which again, when's the last time you bought a Buck Rogers comic? When's the last time you saw one? If there is one that is currently being published and I'm unaware of it, I apologize. I don't believe that's to be the case and certainly not in the last 10 years. So DC's future as they um, fight to justify their publication uh, costs, existence, uh, is is going to be a weird one for the next year. It just gets down to DC always has to seem to work harder. The Marvel Universe Handbook gave you the same information as the DC Who's Who Handbook. The DC Who's Who Handbook actually worked harder to give you bigger, more complex art spreads, but the Marvel one sold twice as well. And, and DC had to work harder, and that's how it's been for pretty much my entire existence. Um, Joe Quesada once, when he was an editor-in-chief, at a panel, could be San Diego, could be New York, could be Chicago, said, look, they ha- DC has a character that would fit well in the Marvel Universe. They, they, his, this is his opinion that Batman works because he reflects all of the Marvel dynamics. I won't get into parsing all of that, but that is something that he said uh, from, from, his, um, from his panel. And I think most everyone, most everyone agrees Batman is now their pre, preeminent uh, character and that family and so we will see more of that as they bridge from AT&T to now their new bosses, Discovery. And there will be new bosses installed over Warner Brothers from Discovery. Because when someone buys something, they don't want to let the old guy who they bought it from run the show. They bought it so that they could run the show. So new bosses are coming. 
Um, you know, what's that old saying? Uh, meet your new boss. He's your old boss. I mean, there you go. So, so, so say hello to the old boss. He's the new boss or say hello to the new boss. Just, it's just a, a merry-go-round, uh, round and round. Uh, DC is, is, um, is, is being, is being passed around again, uh, for what seems like the third time in, in just several years to a new, uh, a new ownership group and someone who will call the shots creatively for them. So we will keep you tuned. Now, ironically, both Marvel and DC are the subject of today's, uh, what I wanted to bring to you today. And, and it harkens back to the heyday, the absolute heyday of the eighties, because mid decade, we were hit and, and made aware through our pop music, pop, um, pop icons. We were made aware of, uh, of the 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 problem with starvation in Africa, in Ethiopia, and and we made we we were first made aware of this by Bob Geldof when he gathered all of the big uh, Europe, Britain uh, pop stars, and they dropped "We Are the World." I'm sorry, they they, they dropped um, "Do You Know It's Christmas Time?" "Do You Know It's Christmas?" by uh by band-aid they were called they recorded it in secret they had not let anyone know about it i remember uh getting ready for school that day when the uh the the video dropped and it's such a great video the opening chimes and you see all of your favorite big superstars like uh uh duran duran uh the police uh spandau ballet bananarama culture club uh guys from the fix um, the, everybody is gathering to sing this v- really great pop song. Do they know it's Christmas? You've heard it. Um, and, um, uh, 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 you know, Sting got to sing his own name in a lyric, The Bitter Sting of Tears. I was like, that's awesome. They gave Sting his own lyric, The Bitter Sting. And then Bono comes in roaring. I mean, every, everyone's got a cool little bit that they're singing. George Michael, Wham! is in there. Uh, and they came together to raise funds, and all proceeds went to feed the hungry uh, people in Ethiopia. And we, as a culture, were made aware of this at that moment. The news media had covered it on and off, but now it became a big deal because your biggest stars, and tr- trust me, in 1984, 1985, Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, The Police, U2, they're burning up the charts. Bananarama, I mean, nothing but hits all the time and now we are watching as they unite to bring attention to this plight in 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 Africa and uh you know it's 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 a sad song but you know people bought it up they they raised a ton of money Bob Geldof then was able to organize Live Aid which took place on both coasts west coast uh east coast Phil Collins of the band Genesis who has a giant catalog of hits he was the guy that you know flew from one venue to the other flew from england to new york so that he appeared on both stages it was um just super fun uh queen you know in 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 the in the queen biopic they they really center on how they um stole the show with their with their performance at live aid but i mean over here in america you had all of the american artists or many of them um and and, and over there you had all of your giant British superstars, and it, it was simulcast all day long. I believe MTV, VH1, they carried it, and uh, and the great thing was that uh, that that after the Grammys the following year in 1985, all the American pop stars, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, I mean Bob Dylan showed up, Lionel Richie, Madonna, no, not Madonna, sorry, uh, but but so so many so many of the biggest. Uh, names of the day were, were were showing up, and 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 they were participating in "We Are the World." So you had "Do They Know It's Christmas?" and "We Are the World" was released here in the states in the spring of 1985, and that became a giant. Um, you had Cindy Lauper, Kenny Rogers, Kenny Loggins. I mean, I'm just trying to again, but Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, that they, they, they were some of the big names that that were involved. Stevie Wonder. Um, that became so 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 just as do they know it's christmas was was softening because it had a long run as a very popular song with a great meaning we are the world jumped in from the american side because of course they didn't want to be uh 
you know, one-upped and they wanted to contribute and, and, and join in and helping the, um, the starving, uh, you know, citizens around the world, starting in Ethiopia and, and, and in Africa. And this is, this is an exciting time because seeing everybody come together for a good cause is always an exciting time. And so in the comic book industry, Marvel and DC both stepped into this in the same manner. And Marvel Comics did X-Men Heroes for Hope. That is their one shop that they did. And right on the cover, all proceeds from this comic book are being donated to famine relief and recovery in Africa. Okay? And DC Comics did their same version of this, uh, which, which was called Heroes Against Hunger. So Marvel Comics, Heroes for Hope. DC Comics, Heroes Against Hunger. All-star cast. They did what Band-Aid and what uh, the American artists for We Are the World did. And, and, and you guys, this, this, all the country artists teamed up for Farm Aid. I mean, Live Aid, Farm Aid, Band-Aid. Everyone was participating because everybody wanted to be part of this great cause. And DC Comics, Heroes Against Hunger, and Heroes um, for Hope from the X-Men, uh, from Marvel featuring the X-Men with the X-Men running right at you on the cover were two terrific collaborations that were intended 100% to drive proceeds and help the same cause that, that, that Band-Aid and, and We Are the World were, were, were generating. Comic books did not want to get left out and we as comic book fans were rewarded with the fact that we got to go along with the ride and we didn't get left out either. We got to participate in this. Jim Starlin, no less, the man who brought you Thanos, the Infinity War, the Infinity Gauntlet, is soon to come with Master of Kung Fu. Jim Starlin, no less, called his buddy Bernie Wrightson, celebrated comic book illustrator, one of the best to ever put pen to paper. And he suggested to him that Marvel get together and do a special issue of the X-Men for famine relief in Africa. They conceived it as a jam, with many artists and writers contributing to an overall story and they would bring a small army of outstanding, outstanding talents together on the project, making it a giant event. Um, they next uh, published it the following morning. They, they pitched it, pitched it to publisher Mike Hobson and then Jim Galton. And uh, they were quick to greenlight it. They then started with Chris Claremont, built out this uh, X-Men storyline. And then went about um, um, recruiting an all-star cast of characters, uh, of, of talents to depict all these different characters. And I'm going to tell you, uh, the, 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 it was so exciting when, the, when they first announced it. And you could only imagine what's going to happen because there's nothing I love more than the mashups. The mashups, artistic mashups especially, will always, always, every single time get my attention, get my excitement. So uh, while they're doing that, Jim and Bernie decide, hey man, we just got greenlit by Marvel Comics. Jim Starlin, Mr. Infinity Gauntlet himself, Mr. Thanos, then contacts DC Comics because, you know, keep the good thing rolling. They go to DC Comics and they say, look, we want to do the DC version of what we are doing at Marvel and DC was quick to sign on board. Um, you know, after nine, after the tragic um, events of 9-11, both Marvel and DC did a version of this commemorating the fallen heroes and the tragedy of 9-11. Um, so that uh, obviously was some 30-odd years, you know, 25 years later. But the first time, you know, they, 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 they've, they've been known to do this kind of stuff before. And, and this is really where it was the most, where they would both go in on the same cause, separate publications, not simpatico, not hand in hand, but they're both approaching the same um, subject matter. And under this, you know, umbrella of this Heroes Against Hunger and Heroes for Hope, Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson are, are the ones who are orchestrating this. And, and kudos to them, uh, uh, hands off to them, because they put together two very memorable, two very um, historic, monumental events. The day that these books hit was a big, big freaking deal. And again, we're going to get into what makes each of them so special. Great causes um, are always, you know, easy to get behind and, and it's exciting. Um, but uh, Heroes for Hope came out and, and, and made it into your hands, you know, in 85, 
and 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 the '86 publication of Heroes Against Hunger followed. Both feature all-star casts. Again, kudos to Jim Starlin and Bernie Wrightson for approaching both Marvel and both DC and creating these great event comics where the proceeds went to um, to benefit the the hungry in in Africa. And I mean, I, I got to tell you. You know, once the ad came out, they had Art Adams, who was hotter. I've done an entire podcast on his career, um, and 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 doing an extended run. He had done Longshot and these X Men annuals, and and the fans were eating up every single line that uh, that 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 Art Adams would put on the page. He was ridiculously popular, successful. They gave him the cover to Heroes for Hope. It is a memorable cover with a um, outstanding shot of Wolverine leading the charge with Colossus lifting a stone over his head, Rachel Summers behind him, Storm behind him, Nightcrawler, Shadowcat, Magneto, and Rogue all charging alongside of him. Heroes for Hope. It is a phenomenal cover. Arthur did a ver- another version of this Wolverine, slightly tweaking it, that became a standee, a giant like four and a half foot standee in every comic book store across the United States and maybe uh, overseas. Um, and it was very memorable, and it's based on this exact shot that he depicted on this cover. But let us uh, peer inside, because like I said, the mashups it's where I'm at, is where I'm at. It's when talents that you don't normally see collaborate together are going to collaborate together, and they're going to jam, and they're going to share chores. Somebody's going to do the penciling, somebody's going to do the inking. Now I'm going to tell you, for, for the most part, the DC version and the Marvel version are a draw, but where Marvel um, edges them is they were solely focused on their most popular franchise. X-Men had taken over the charts. It was the biggest thing in comic books. They had begun spinning off these families with X-Factor and New Mutants, and and Wolverine's title was yet to come, but it was inevitable. It was coming just down the pike, and uh, the X-Men-centric story would feature uh, a different group of, you know, there was an overall story that was that was created by Chris Claremont and the Senti, Bernie Wrightson, Jim Starlin, and Jim Shooter. So they broke the story just like a writer's room and were able to give an outline to everyone. And 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 again, you're gonna get pages one and two, you're gonna get three and four, you're gonna get five, you're gonna get six and eight, you're gonna get nine, you're gonna get 10, 12, 13, 14. This is how they break it down. Some people did one page, some people did two pages, depending on availability and the ability to max these 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 uh match these talents up. And again, they're trying to do something special here. And for me, both both Heroes for Hope and Heroes Against Hunger have two signature collaborations that 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 make each book shine. To me, they are the best uh mo- the, the reason to buy both books. It, it really boils down to a total, I think overall five pages, three, three in the X-Men Heroes for Hope and two in Heroes Against Hunger, but you go, when am I going to see these guys collaborate again on these characters in this way, and uh, and for a good cause? For 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 instance, you know, you're going to get an X Men book, you're going to put it together. It's been five years since John Byrne and Terry Austin have jammed on the X Men together in the regular issue of X Men. This is an X Men special. How do you not ask them to come back together for a sequence in Heroes for Hope? You're going to hear these pages flipping. I hope it doesn't bother you. Um, Early on in the book, they want to they want to make sure they get they get this you know in your eyeballs as early as possible. So pages six, seven, and eight. So they gave John Byrne and Terry Austin. Um, it's it, it's where the the threat is kind of established. It's it's it brings back all the magic. Your eyeballs go, oh my gosh! Especially if you're around reading the John Byrne Terry Austin run from 1977 to 1980, seeing Colossus and Nightcrawler in action with Storm and Wolverine and Magneto, um, uh, inked. Those crisp, juicy Terry Austin inks over those brilliant John Byrne lines um, it is a three-page section that starts off immediately. I mean, six, seven, and eight, right there, and you go, oh, oh, my favorite X-Men guys are back. Now remember, Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, we're not in the business at this time. Mark is is a young guy; he's cutting his teeth. Um, so is Eric Larson, but th- th- we're not, um, you know, in, in the in in the big the, in the big leagues yet. Um, I'm I'm two years away from being hired, so so this is working with the talent they had at that time. And John Byrne is uncontested as the premier X Men artist of his age. Art Adams, again, the hottest artist in the market, doing the visuals that were driving all of the kids crazy, does this cover. Um, 
So, so, so they make sure early on they get you, and, and, and so you, you get a highlight of, hey, your favorite X-Men team got back together for this special. Now, along the lines, they have some really brilliant combinations. Bernie Wrightson, again, considered a master illustrator. His greatest, most celebrated work is Swamp Thing, and then a Frankenstein illustrated uh, novel that he did, which flexed in a way that no one has matched since in terms of illustration and rendering. He uh, penciled a few pages, and 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 uh, Jeff Jones, another celebrated illustrator, inked over him, and that's cool. That's that's giving you the inkling of, of the kind of collaboration you're going to get in here. But um, Richard Corbin, who was not known for doing interiors, they got Richard Corbin, a fantasy um, painter who did more kind of adult fantasy stuff in like heavy metal. He jumps in here and he does these uh, these these three fantastic pages in here that are kind of you know <clears throat> undergroundy looking. It's cool, <clears throat> but the without fail. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat. <clears throat> without fail, the strongest showing in this book in Heroes for Hope. The mashup that that to me makes it all worthwhile is Frank Miller, who had done the celebrated Wolverine. Uh, who had done the celebrated Wolverine miniseries. I have an entire podcast on it uh, where Chris Claremont recruits him fresh off his, while he is in, doing his legendary, memorable, historic Daredevil run. He convinces Frank to join him for four issues to reestablish uh, the legacy of Wolverine, kind of taking it in a new direction with with, with the, all of the Eastern influence, samurais, gaijin, ronin. It, it, is, it is fantastic. They get Frank to come back to Wolverine in these three pages. And it is this weird kind of nightmare sequence upon which he... Um, well, I don't want to blow it for you, but I'm, I'm looking at it right now, and it is full of the juiciest visuals. And Bill Sienkiewicz, one of the most celebrated illustrators as well, one of, a guy who could have easily just made all of his money in advertising, who, who, went, who did Moon Knight, who, who, who put Moon Knight on the map, who did a legendary... Uh, uh, version of the uh, run on the New Mutants that was adapted for that film. The New Mutants movie is based on Bill Sienkiewicz's collaboration with Chris Claremont. He is a once-in-a-lifetime illustrator, painter, pen and ink, doesn't matter. I've got some sketches, some illustrations that I purchased commissions from, from Bill. Watching him work, he drew, them, drew a couple of them right in front of me. It's phenomenal. Um, him inking over Frank Miller is the price of admission for this book. It is nothing short of fantastic. And the author of this is the celebrated, everyone celebrated, right? But these are some special people. Harlan Ellison wrote your favorite science fiction up until this point. He wrote, you know, the the, some, the, the key uh, Star Trek episode where they come to earth in the, in like the, the, the roaring twenties. Um, it, it, it's it's uh, Harlan Ellison is not doing regular comics at any point during this period. Uh, this accomplished sci-fi writer comes in and does these three pages, and it has been shown online. Harlan has since passed away. Harlan Ellison owns all three of these pages. That they are with his family. The originals framed. They've been shown online in the possession of the Ellison. I'm, I'm sorry, the the Harlan uh, Ellison estate. He owns these three pages. This is fantastic. This Frank Miller Wolverine sequence with Bill Sienkiewicz inks, I can't stop looking at it. It is brilliant. It is, it is really towards the center of the issue. It's uh, pages 22, 23, 24, and again, it furthers the issue. Everything is furthering the issue. Brian Boland, who I have mentioned as, as, as a ridiculously popular British artist, um, did Camelot 3000, Judge Dredd, Alan Moore's The Killing Joke. He does this very this amazing storm sequence in here. And he is once again, he is joined by P. Craig Russell, another just outstanding top of the line, uh, inker. Uh, he's a, he's a top of the line artist himself. He inks Brian Bullen on this rather than draw his own story. He would, could have just as easily drawn his own story. Um, it's just a feast for the eyes. It, it, every few pages, you get a new interpretation, a new jam, a new collaboration that you've never seen before. You've got, you know, Jackson Geis being inked by Steve Lealoa, and it's cool, and it ends with Howard Chaikin inked by Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson is tearing it up on Thor at this time. Howard Chaikin is tearing it up on American Flag, The Shadow. He is, he is a premier A-list guy for both companies. He comes in. They are really good friends. And, and Walt says, I'll, I'll ink that. So Walt Simonson rounds out the book, inking these last four pages over Howard Chaikin. I mean, this is a, a potpourri 
of A-list talent coming together to give you the very best possible one shot that will fuel enough money to send over and, and feed whatever, feed a village, feed feed families. That, that That's all that matters. And there it is right on the corner. All proceeds from this comic are donated to famine relief and recovery in, in Africa. And again, seeing Bill Sienkiewicz, you can see Bill Sienkiewicz on top of Frank Miller. Frank Miller is in his going towards his Dark Knight style. Dark Knight is not yet published, but he takes time out of his schedule to do this for Heroes for Hope, starring the X-Men. Building it around the X-Men was the smart play. It is. It gives you a bunch of different vignettes with your favorite characters, Wolverine, Colossus, Storm, as I mentioned, Nightcrawler. Everyone gets to shine. Everyone gets their moment. And it, it gets some, some incredible artistic treatment as well. Well, not to be outdone, and again, I cannot recommend go online to your retailer, get Heroes for Hope, uh, these exist, to my mind, only as one-shots. You can't get them in any collection. But DC Comics, now Heroes Against Hunger, they also have an Adams providing their cover. Theirs is the legendary, the legendary Neil Adams. You've heard his name so many times on this podcast because Neil Adams is the best that ever was. He still is cranking it out now in his early 80s. He is giving you some of the best comic work you're going to see. Um, and this guy... Is, is is 30 plus years older than me and probably 40 to 50 years older than some of the newest talent in comic books. Neil Adams of Superman Muhammad Ali. I have an entire podcast on it. It is the single best illustrated comic book ever in the history of mankind. Uh, put it to the test. See if every figure, face, environment, background, action, choreography is not top notch. Um, Neil came into the field as like the best and never left. And he is just um, a, a monster talent. Neil provides the cover to Heroes Against Hunger, which is really a giant Superman-Batman tale. They decided to lean all in on Superman and Batman, and uh, who are, again, come on, the faces of Warner Brothers at this time. It is a, for years, they shared a title called World's Finest, and now World's Finest always featured Superman and Batman because they were the world's finest heroes, and they had a camaraderie, and it was a monthly book, and it came out forever. And uh, and so you had, uh, you, you, you had Superman, and Batman starring in Heroes Against Hunger. Jim Starlin, again, on top of the story, and breaks the story down, and individual writers are Carrie Bates, Elliot S. Magan, obviously Jim Starlin, Paul Levitz, Michael Fleischer. I, I, I am bereft uh, the, the, uh, of, of mentioning all of the different writers. Stan Lee himself wrote in Heroes for Hope. Bill Mantlo, uh, Ann Nascenti, Joe Duffy, Mike Barron, uh, Danny O'Neill, Jim Shooter again. So, so there's different writers working with different, you know, artists. George Perez does page one and page forty-seven. Uh, I'm sorry, page one and page forty-eight of the Heroes Against Hunger. He is your first and your last page. He is DC's most popular talent at the time. He makes time to do these two pages in t in the middle of his incredible schedule, where he is doing Crisis on Infinite Earths, doing Wonder Woman, doing the history of the DC universe. No one was busier at DC Comics than George Perez, but he took time and he did this. There's great mashups in here. There is great mashups. Some of my favorite is Marshall Rogers of Batman fame being inked by Carl Kiesel, who completely just attacks the work in the best possible way, and it makes the best mashup. It's it's chunky. It's crisp. It's this. It's it, it's two of the best pages in here are the Marshall Rogers Carl Kiesel pages. Um, but I I promised you that there would be uh, a, a signature showcase. And I'm going to get to that. that. To me, the price of admission for Heroes Against Hunger. But you get Kurt Swan, the classic Superman artist, inked by John Byrne on two pages. So the new Superman guy is inking the old Superman guy across a two-page story. Walt Simonson is here. He is in both books, <clears throat> as is John Byrne. Walt Simonson pencils, Steve Lealoa inks. They are the Heroes Against Hunger pits them against this kind of alien creature. I'm not really giving you the villains in either of these. It's not really... The stories The stories are fine, but it's the artistic matchups that you came for. But this is a more of a Silver Age type story, an alien, a big green alien, and um, it, it's it's more of a classic Silver Age tale. It, it, it's weird. Heroes for Hope is very modern, uh, very modern comic. Heroes for Hunger is a bit of a throwback um, to, to kind of a classic... Again, I, I say Silver Age because it's aliens and robots. Where where Heroes for Hope is more kind of a, kind of a uh, psychological thriller and and, and, and and deals with a telekinetic and telepathic forces. But so you get Walt Simonson here. You've got you've got Dave Gibbons of Watchmen doing a fantastic spread. Dan Jurgens inked by Bill Ray, the, the legendary Joe Kubert who gave us Adam and Andy Kubert among his other 
accomplishments. Does a beautiful spread with Superman and, and Joe Rubenstein inks it. Howard Chaikin is back. He is inking Dave Ross, who is an outstanding penciler. But why? What is the price of admission? There's two reasons. In the DC Heroes Against Hunger book, you get Jack the King Kirby. Jack the King Kirby throws down for two terrific pages where he um, is inked by Al Milgram, who is a traditional, you know, by all, uh, uh, you know, understanding at this time, Al really did it. Most of his work at Marvel Comics, he jumps over here. He inked a bunch of covers of, of Jack when Jack was still doing stuff for Marvel. But here he inks this two-page Superman Lex Luthor sequence, and it's great. I mean, you got Jack King Kirby flexing on the greatest superhero of all space and time. But the price of admission is a gentleman named Barry Windsor Smith, who is who is probably up with Neil, one of the best illustrators that has ever hit comic books. And he is in this he has come back after years. You've heard me mention him. He launched the comic, the Conan comic book in our Sword and Sorcery podcast. We launch, we, we, we cover how Conan broke him out into a giant fan favorite and he became very meticulous and very, uh, uh, just, just, um, just invested in every detail, every line, the reproduction and, and, and his obsession with how his work looked led him to exit comics for almost six, seven years where he just became an illustrator and did fantasy illustrations and, uh, the best of which is in a book because he called the studio because Bernie Wrightson, uh, Jeff Jones, Mike Kaluta, and Barry Windsor Smith share a studio and they make this magnificent art together. And 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 this um, th- this period right here in the 80s, 84, 85, is when he reemerges. Barry rejoins comics. He does fill-ins on the X-Men. They blow your mind. He's 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 taken it to the next level. The level of detail and elegance and figure work is is like nothing he had ever done before. And he was great. And he became greater. He steps in and does two pages in Heroes for Hunger, depicting Superman and Batman. Where are you going to get a Barry Windsor Smith, Superman and Batman alongside Lex Luthor, okay, as they team up to deal with Heroes Against Hunger and they go to Africa and they visit the starving African village and it is Barry at his finest and he is inked on this by, again, another really uh, a studio mate of his, <clears throat> Jeff Jones, who inked Barry, Bernie Wrightson, in the Heroes for Hope installment. So again, you got a little bit of the crossover going on and these guys are jamming with each other across different platforms, across different specials. But the Barry Windsor Smith, Jeff Jones pages are magnificent. They are beautiful. They're gorgeous. I would love to see the line art of these. I've never seen them just in the line art. But just, again, it's just two pages and you're like, life, well, I'm not going to buy something for two pages. It's probably got a back issue markup. That's fine. I'm, do what you will. I'm telling you why I love it, why I sought it out, why this one really holds together for me. The Jack Kirby, the Barry Windsor Smith, the Joe Kubert, stuff that you didn't get in the Marvel. Again, you've got some crossover. You've got some, you've got some, you know, uh, uh, John Byrne, Walt Simonson, Jim Starlin, obviously doing both. Jim Starlin, you know, at the forefront, but Dave Gibbons and Jack Kirby and Tony Sammons and Barry Windsor Smith are only available in the DC version. So Superman, Batman in this kind of a, you know, tail against these green aliens. And, uh, but the Joe Kubert shot of him taking down this alien and the Dave Gibbons sequence and the Dan Jurgen sequence where they take it to this alien. It's fun. It's cool. Um, you should check it out. I'm flipping through it right now. It's, 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 it's great fun. These comics were for a great, great cause. And it is, um, one of those fantastic times where you can look back and go, both publishers came together over the same period one is published in end of 85 and one is early 86 and and when this was in full throttle full tilt that everybody was focused on stopping you know the starvation in the and 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 in Africa and and contributing to famine relief and you got two killer comics with some really inspired you know uh, collaborations bringing John Byrne Terry Austin back together Having Barry Windsor Smith do Superman, Batman, and Lex Luthor inked by Jeff Jones. These are top-of-the-line illustrators. The Frank Miller, Bill Sienkiewicz is the star of the show in the X-Men Heroes for Hope. The Barry Windsor Smith and Jack Kirby are the star of the Heroes Against Hunger DC Comics. These bring back vivid memories. But it's not the nostalgia, baby. It's the work. I could stare at these Frank Miller, Bill Sienkiewicz, and these Barry Windsor Smith pages all day long and every one of these other collaborations in here. The Brian Boland inked by P. Craig Russell is just stunning, beautiful, beautiful, crisp, just very delicate line work, figure work. Again, if you love comic book art, and I know you do, 
you should seek these out. These are fantastic. These are amazing additions. They went to a great, great cause. And Jim Starlin, Bernie, uh, Bernie Wrightson, who is no longer with us, but Jim Starlin is certainly still with us. Take a bow. You did a great thing. This I speak as the 18-year-old fan who was picking these up at the time and who um, was, was licking every page. Could not believe the quality of the collaborators, George Perez, John Byrne, Walt Simonson, Steve Lealoa, Howard Chaikin, Byrne, uh, Bernie Wrightson, uh, uh, Barry Smith. Unbelievable. So today we covered the, the, the new mission, the new kind of hurdle for, for, for DC Comics. And, 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 and the funny thing, just circling back, uh, and, and then obviously these amazing um, famine relief comic books that both Marvel and DC produced. And, and this I, I just cannot recommend them higher. We're going to wait and see what's going to happen with Warner Brothers and DC Comics now that they are um, under the dominion of Discovery. AT&T sheds. Uh, some weight gets out of the content business. That's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. Bloomberg is saying. USA Today, New York Times. I am just the messenger. I am relating. But did my friends from other competing industries blow up my phone last night when these texts, oh my gosh, AT&T is dumping Warner Brothers. Um, and, and, and I was on the phone for very late night. People wanted to talk about this, giving people the breakdown of how this is going to go. But at the end of the day, we don't know. It, it, you got to wait and see. Wait and see what occurs. I think DC Comics is in for, at the very least, some dancing. They're going to have to dance. Uh, the, the new boss, same as the old boss, is always going to make you dance. And that's what we have here. Uh, last night, nephews, cousins, all over. We love to play with the action figures. They, they, my youngest nephews, 10 and 12, want to play with Uncle Rock. They call me Uncle Rock's action figures. And so I have them. They're in a giant container. I go, I take them, you know, the covering off, and I, you know, let them all pick my 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 sons who are now 21 and 19 and my 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 uh, my nephew who is 20 were only they were they could not be more happy to facilitate with my youngest nephews their cousins and pulled off this giant we do these superhero drafts where everyone picks a a, a figure and then at the end it's determined who has the best draft and we use the DC universe who's who handbook and Marvel universe handbook the two character editions we covered in last week's uh, podcast in, in the most recent Across the Universe podcast to determine if there was challenges as term as to as to the power levels because I'm determining these power levels. I'm saying, well, you have Thanos and Onslaught on your team, and that's kind of hard to beat. It may trump your Galactus Apocalypse pairing, but oh my gosh, you have basically five versions of Superman on your team. You have Superman, you have Monel, you have Apollo, you have Hyperion, you have Ultra Boy. I mean. So it's great, but we used that, that the deciding factor for the challenges, whether you were 10, 12, or 21, was decided by these epic omnibuses that have just been released in the last month. Marvel Universe Deluxe Handbook, DC Who's Who, and, and, and I'm going to tell you, they're going to make great gifts going forward to anybody who wants a very special gift. They're not cheap, warning you in advance, but just wanted to circle back to that. And the funny thing is, <clears throat> there was two un, uh, undrafted figures. And that was the Vulture and Angel, two winged guys. Not the Michael Keaton Vulture, the classic Vulture. And I did snicker to myself as when I'm thinking of arm casters and temple touchers, and I'm like, the Angel is left behind because all he does is flap his wings. And to these kids, they're like, these guys just have wings. There's nothing left, okay? And they left them behind. So all of these podcasts are being realized and making me laugh. And you know that this is the time of the podcast where I read your reviews because you guys have been so generous and kind and 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 in, in leaving all of these fantastic reviews for me and I am um just so humbled by the fact that you guys are stepping up and commenting on the show and we need you we need you now more than we have ever need you guys need needed you guys because we need you to um share your uh your your enthusiasm for this show, um, tell people to subscribe, spread the word on social media, let people know that that you are digging the show and passing it along. And uh, and 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 the, I, I am here to talk about the comics with all you guys. And the and the bottom line is that people seem to be really enjoying uh, what we're doing here. And 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 I am so very humbled by the fact that you guys are taking this journey with me. And and so. What I do at the end of the show is I read your reviews. Okay, so today, Aragorn, 625, 625, Aragorn, 625, left a very generous review. The best comic book podcast, insightful, engaging, 
sometimes controversial, really, but always entertaining. Observations is the preeminent podcast for comics and pop culture. Rob shares personal insights and stories that span the entire comic book industry. This, there is something here for everyone to enjoy from the casual MCU fan to the hardcore comic reader. Rob never fails to, and I know what he's doing here, let the Bronco buck, let the Bronco buck, bud. That is a, 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 a reference to the beloved Todd McFarlane who always used to say to other people, let the Bronco buck in reference to Rob Liefeld, I am the Bronco. Hey, Aragorn625, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. Your your generous review, thank you so much. And then uh, I'm going to segue. So thank you, Aragorn. And to the real Brad Bell, the real R-E-E-L, Brad Bell, the real Brad Bell. Thank you, Rob. This podcast listens like an oral history of comic books from a creator perspective and Bronze Age comics from a fan's perspective. Thank you so much, Rob, for turning me onto the Silver and Bronze Age. If not, if not for you, I would have missed out on the best eras of comic books. Amen, brother. The only downside is I feel like I ended up buying an I end up buying an omnibus after each episode, thanks to Rob's recommendations. Hey, thank you for buying those omnibuses and supporting those publishers, those creators, those retailers. Thank you, the real. Real being R-E-E-L, Brad Bell. Thank you for your support. You guys, thank you. Continue to leave uh, comments to keep to keep coming with those reviews. I will share them at the end of every show. Um, again, thanks for hanging out with me, guys. Crazy things are happening. Crazy times in entertainment. But go seek these famine relief comic books out. They are all-star endeavors with some of some, you know, these guys are just flexing. They're showing just how great they are. All-star writers, all-star artists. Check them out. Heroes for Hope is the X-Men Marvel one. Heroes Against Hunger is the DC Comics version. Um, thank you for hanging out with me. I am on social media at Instagram. I am at Rob Liefeld. You just get the short version, at Rob Liefeld. I have a blue check, so you know it's me uh, and not some imposter. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. The full name, because I couldn't get Rob Liefeld. I, I love to laugh about that. At Robert Liefeld, also with the blue check. That's me. Don't shoot the messenger. Love hanging out with you guys. Love talking to you guys. I am all over Facebook, social media. I love interacting with you, talking, sharing ideas. Let's be nice. Um, and and, and I, I, I love uh, talking to you guys. And I will look forward to hearing from you. You guys know the drill. You are going to take care of yourselves. Um, the light is, is, is shining bright, guys, every day. Things are getting better. So continue to walk straight ahead. Walk towards that light. Stay safe, and we will talk again real soon. Thank <laughs> you.